0: Welcome to FACETS Friday. Before we begin, we have an announcement from FACETS. The Neurobehavioral Conditions, including FASD, online introductory workshop will be happening six Fridays, starting Friday, January 21st through February 25th, 2022. This introductory workshop is a prerequisite for advanced workshops and certifications offered by FACETS. It's intended for professionals, parents, and other caregivers of children with confirmed or suspected FASD or other brain-based conditions. Workshop seating is limited, so register early. To learn more or to sign up for this online workshop, visit FACETS.org. That's FASCETS.org. And make sure you let them know that FASD Hope referred you. Now, our Facets Friday episode with Nancy Hall. Nancy Hall, Program Director with Facets, has almost 30 years' experience working with the nonprofit sector for improvement of services for people with disabilities. Nancy's academic background includes psychology, child and youth care, as well as clinical behavioral sciences. Nancy has worked as an FASD community developer, educator and consultant for the past 15 years. She co-authored a research paper on effective service provision for people impacted by FASD in 2009. Nancy has been a program director for FACETS since 2015, and she has been providing trainings in the neurobehavioral model throughout Eastern Canada for the past eight years. Nancy lives in the Toronto, Canada region, acting as both a caregiver and professional. Today's FACETS Friday topic is five things I've learned as a FACETS facilitator. Welcome to this last FACETS Friday of 2021. I am thrilled to be talking with today's guest. She is Nancy Hall of FACETS. She is program director, and she's going to kind of close our uh, six-episode 2021 FACETS Fridays series with uh, five things that she's learned as a FACETS facilitator. And I'm really excited to hear that. Before we start our conversation, Nancy Hall of FACETS, welcome to FASD Hope.
1: Thank you so much, Natalie. Nice to be here.
0: And Nancy, before we start our conversation, could you just share your journey in how you became involved with the FASD neurobehavioral populations, and how and when did you become a Facets facilitator?
1: Well, I worked with people with various um, different conditions. I worked with people with developmental disabilities for many years. I worked with people with physical conditions as well as people with mental health issues. I did that for more than 20 years. So that was my background of experience. And at that point, my mother and my stepfather needed a lot of care. So I actually took a year off work and went to support them. And when it was time for me to go back to work, there weren't a lot of positions available. So I applied for this contract position called an FASD community developer. And I'd never been a community developer before. And I certainly had never heard of FASD. But I applied for it because I needed the work. And crazily, I got that job before I even got home from the interview they were calling me to hire me. And I was quite shocked by that, given my lack of experience or knowledge on the topic. So I had a huge learning curve to overcome. And once I had gone through that learning curve and in the midst of it, I actually identified multiple members of my immediate and extended family who um, I felt had FASD or a brain-based condition. And this shocked me, this really shocked me. It actually, it shocked me that I had worked in the field of disabilities for over 20 years that I had never learned about FASD, that I never learned about um, its impact on our communities and on people. And when I recognized how much of an impact it had already had on my life unknowingly, it really developed a really deep and, and extensive passion for the whole subject of FASD. In that job as a community developer, my role was to provide education and training to community partners, parents, service providers, medical professionals. So I began to do public speaking and training in the field of FASD. Um, That actually led to a more permanent position where they actually recruited me to do training in FASD on their behalf. And I began to do a five-year-long circuit of Southern Ontario and beyond, um, doing different um, trainings and conferences, things like that. It was during that position that I had the opportunity to meet this woman named Diane Malbin. And of course, I had heard a lot about her. I had seen her briefly once at a conference, but didn't have the chance to meet her. This time I got the chance to actually attend the full three day training and sit at her table, get to know her, talk with her. And by the end of those three days, I knew I finally had an answer for what to do about FASD and particularly with the people in my particular circle or my family. And I wasn't really sure how to apply it yet. I had a hard time at first to get my head around that model. Um, I guess I'm a bit of a concrete thinker. (laughs) But I knew the answer was there. So I pursued her. And it was through that process that I asked her about a training of trainers. Because I knew that I had done as much as I could in terms of opening people's minds and idea, or their thoughts to the subject of FASD, but I didn't really know how to teach people what to do about it, and I knew that she could teach me how to do that. So she was just in the process of developing her very first, which she originally called training of trainers. We have since changed that to training of facilitators, which is much more appropriate. Um, And I was able to get in on that first cohort of individuals that were being trained. Luckily, I was able to get sponsorship through Western University in London, Ontario, Canada. And they paid for my expenses to go to Portland to do the training. And at the end, there were four of us out of that group, Natalie Broussard, Melissa Elligson, Suzanne Emery, and myself who um, became program directors for FACETS in light of uh, Diane Melvin's retirement plan, knowing that she needed new leadership in the agency to bring it forward and keep the really great work that she'd been doing for 40 years going.
0: What an amazing journey.
1: It really was. I was so lucky.
0: Oh my goodness. And to meet Diane Malvin and to be one of her first facilitators, it was, I guess back then it would almost have been like a pilot program and training the facilitators.
1: Yeah, it was her first try at it. And certainly we've done lots of tweaking and developing of that since. Um, But yeah, that's absolutely what it was. So my timing, my timing around getting the initial position in FASD and then the timing around my meeting Diane Melvin, um, to be honest with you, felt all very faded. Yeah. And I felt very higher power driven by this work. So that's there was no stopping me.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. That's right. And once, you, you know, and I felt that way when I took the three-day training, once I learned about the NB model and really understood it, as a shift in mindset and then learning how to apply it, it gave me a passion to share with others, which is why I'm so thankful we have this collaboration of FASD Hope and FACETS because, and I shared with you before we started recording, Facets really changed our family in so many ways and continues to do so. So I, I'm just so thankful to be able to share with our listeners around the world, which humbles me, to share how much Facets helped our family. And again, I've shared this with all of our other Facets facilitators who have been on our show. I, I see Facets as a tool in our toolbox of parenting and caregiving and, and teaching and whatnot. And just like with any tool, you know, when you use it more and when you learn more, it grows with you. So I'm really just happy that we're ending 2021 Facets Friday with what you've learned as one of those first facilitators who studied directly with Diane Malvin. And I think that's just such an amazing thing. So let's talk about what some of the things we were titling this episode, five things I've learned as a facets facilitator. And I am so interested to hear, Nancy,
1: some of the things that you've learned and that you can share with our audience. Well, you know, when I sat down and I tried to put, you know, pen to paper and think about what were the five things, it was nothing really earth shattering yet really, really important. So the first one was I learned that neurodiversity is real. (laughs) That everyone's brain is very, very different. And that when I'm doing training, I need to expect, and I know that everyone will receive that information a little bit differently some people will feel that they've known it forever and that this is old news most people think it's new information for them and a lot of times it takes people a lot of time to really figure it out the model so i think that was the first huge lesson was that neurodiversity is really real and i have seen it across people And across populations. I'm not just referring to people with brain-based conditions when I say that. I'm talking about the people we train, you know, our moms, our dads, my husband, you know, my friends, you know, that neurodiversity is real. We are all so different.
0: And that was emphasized in my training. And I love that as our first, as the first thing you're sharing, because it's important for us to realize our neurodiversity and how we learn in our sensory likes and dislikes and, and things that are a good sensory fit and things are not. It's important for us to recognize it in ourselves because like the analogy of you're putting on your oxygen mask before you know, you're in an airplane, you know, at least back in you know, back, way back when you put your oxygen mask on first and then you put, put it on to the person you're helping. It's that thought that, yes, we need to acknowledge the things that are different. And thinking back on that first day of training and and the activities and whatnot, that really comes forward to the student in that facets training is that you're not only learning about your loved one's brain or your student's brain or or those, you're learning about your brain, which works differently. And and we need to acknowledge that. I love that, Nancy. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Natalie. Terrific.
0: Now, I'm so interested to hear your number two answer in what you've learned as a facets facilitator.
1: Well, number two, I wrote down as giving the answers is very tempting, but unhelpful. So that was number two that I learned. And what I recognized very quickly is that people need the time to take the information they've learned and start to practice application on their own with some supports if they need it, but that's how they're gonna be able to reach the goals that we have for all participants of FACETS training. And those goals, I believe, really reflect the original goals or hypotheses that Diane Malbin had for her initial research study on the neurobehavioral model. And she had two goals for the circle of care. So that would include parents, caregivers, other service providers or other caregivers. And that's that the first hypothesis was that they would enjoy an increase in their self-confidence and self-competence and their ability to manage the behaviors and different issues that might arise over the course of a person's lifetime that they might be supporting. The second hypothesis was that as a result of understanding the neurobehavioral model and using and applying it that parents and caregivers would also enjoy a reduction in the amount of stress that they felt day to day managing those behaviors. So I've learned very quickly that by not giving answers, by helping people, you know, uh, go through that process of learning application, that it's a lot like Diane's, she always gives this quote, you know, I can, I can feed you fish for dinner, and you'll be satisfied tonight, or I can teach you how to fish, and you'll be good for your lifetime. So it's the same idea of that. So that would be number two.
0: And I love that Nancy because thinking back to when I started my husband and I started you know our, our training, we really were in a place of crisis, a place of what do we do how do we going in and I've, I've shared this quite a few times on our on our podcast. I used to just hope and pray that how can I just change what our son was, doing, you know, what we were seeing. And when I learned, you know, so, and I kind of went into my facets training, like, okay, give me answers. I need answers now, you know, and I I can so relate to that. But looking back, you know, years later, it'll be coming up on, oh my goodness, uh, coming up on three years, more than three years. Looking back at that, now I can honestly say I'm glad I went through that process and I'm glad that I learned for myself because, again, it taught me that this is a tool and that this journey, it's not about changing anything about my son. It's about how we can best accommodate, how we can best meet him where he's at, support him where he's at, and I love these two goals because yes, I do believe that facets has done that for our family that enjoy a decrease in stress. Yes, there's stress. There's always going to be stress, but yes, has it, has it decreased? Yes, definitely. And also enjoying an increase in confidence and competence. Now, do I, do I think, you know, Oh yes, I can handle this. No, no, there's a lot of humility in this journey. However, there are more days where I, I have said, okay, this was not a disaster or okay. <laughs> hey, we accommodated that or okay. Hey, that was a victory. So yes, I, I appreciate that. But yes, as as someone who went into the training saying, please tell me now, please tell me now. I, I think that's a really profound answer.
1: Well, I'm remembering that it's very common for people to come to trainings when they're in those moments of crisis, when they feel an urgency to get answers as fast as possible. And that, that pressure often leads to that temptation to give the answer. So, yeah, well,
0: I'm glad you don't, <laughs> and I'm glad you didn't, because as a parent who's been on this journey, it, it, it really helps that we use it this we use facets in the nb model as a tool that grows with us so thank you well and it's an
1: important part of why facets has started to offer support around application yes. of the narrow behavioral model because and, you know it this leads to one of my points and that's that not everyone is going to be able to get their head around the brain based approach right away in fact some people take the training twice Three times, maybe more. Some people take more time and some people do require that additional support. And it was through that learning that, you know, we decided to start offering that extra training support through facets. So if there's anyone out there who has been to a training and is struggling and applying the model, we get it. We get it. And we have support uh, sessions that are available to you. And hopefully that will help you get where you wanna go. So that would be my number three, that not everyone is gonna get their head around the brain-based model right away. And that's okay. And that's normal. And sometimes it's gonna take some extra time.
0: And I'm so thankful that FACETS is now offering those support meetings and support sessions to people who have gone through the training, because that is an extra tool for you to, 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 you know, to grow in your, your tool of the facets, uh, neurobehavioral
1: training. That's wonderful. Absolutely. I know. I remember when we first decided to offer that, I thought what a gift I would have really benefited from that (laughs) when I first started looking at the neurobehavioral model for sure. Absolutely. Wonderful. Now what's point number four? Number four for me is about storytelling. And it's the importance of storytelling within the training. You know, I I delivered some trainings where I was just speaking to the material that was on the screen, and that was about it. And it just fell flat for me. I really felt that storytelling what made the real difference in terms of the quality of this training. I feel like it's a key element in supporting people to shift their thinking and starting to look at very similar situations that they can relate to in their own lives, similar, you know, kinds of situations or issues that have arisen for their children. And by providing stories Simple stories about how one shift in accommodation or understanding changed the trajectory of that one particular you know, issue or problem sometimes can have all make all the difference in terms of how people feel and how passionate people can become about the neurobehavioral model. It really does work. And we've got multiple stories to share, to prove to people that this isn't just some research or something abstract on a screen. This is real life. And I think those real life stories uh, make all the difference.
0: So I'm going to address that wonderful point uh, from two perspectives. First, as a mom, I know for me, learning about, FASD and and brain-based diagnoses and, and about the neurobehavioral model, for me, hearing other parents, other caregivers, educators share their stories for me made me feel less lonely. And I know that I've had many listeners, you know, email, text message saying, Sharing, hearing other people share their stories makes them feel less lonely and makes them, it just gives them a little more support on their journey, knowing that somebody, hey, went through a similar situation and, and you know, so it's not just me, that, that kind of thing. And Absolutely. then yeah. as, a, as a podcaster, as, as someone who I, I love podcasting, we know, podcasters know that people's stories have power you know your voices have power and when you share your stories that that is empowerment not only for the person who's sharing the story and 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 you know sharing what they've learned and sharing you know their their hopes their thoughts their perspective but it 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 empowers other people to do the same and that's one of the many reasons why i love podcasting because Not only as a mom do I feel less alone talking to others about, you know, their journeys, but I'm giving people an opportunity to to have some power by sharing their story and by saying, hey, I went through this, you know, this is how, this is what got me through it. This is a tool that helped me. And it's like this ripple effect, Nancy. It's like you you throw the little stone in the pond by just, here's here's my story, boop, it's in the pond, and then you just see the ripples. And it's really a wonderful thing when more people can feel hopeful by one person sharing their story.
1: I was so hoping you were going to get to that word, since it's right in the name of your podcast, because... (laughs) I really think that by sharing stories of success, that we share hope. Yes.
0: Yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm writing that down.
1: (laughs) That's going to be a quote. All right. This has been a so this
0: I, I like to say this, but this whole conversation's been been a hope takeaway. So I can't wait to hear what point number five is.
1: It's a pretty simple one. And that's that I never give up. Sometimes there are some individuals who I think in the back of my head, they're never going to get this. You know, uh, maybe it's someone who's very concrete in their thinking and has difficulty abstracting to some of the ideas or concepts in the model. But what I've really learned is that I should never give up. Because if I can get through to just one person, it's going to make such a huge impact in another person's life well multiple people's lives that it's worth it it's worth it even if we just get through to just one more person so i never give up I even never. when people struggle and i have had many repeat participants so i never give up
0: and a good point in that too is that and something that i've i've learned is that it's important to take breaks too, because this yes. journey is very long. It's a lifelong journey, you know. No matter what the brain-based diagnosis is, it's a lifelong journey, and we need to take breaks so that we can keep on going. So I really appreciate these five points. So, listeners, I'm going to put these wonderful points in a graphic so that you can see and you can uh, learn from this this wonderful, um, wonderful five things I've learned as a facets facilitator. So Nancy, this has been a wonderful conversation and I love these five things that you've learned. We like to share real life examples in in our facets Fridays uh, episodes of some of the things that our uh, facilitators have learned. Can you share with us a real life example of, of one of the things you've learned related to facets and being a facets facilitator?
1: Absolutely. Actually, I have, a, I have a pretty good one, I think. Um, I live in Southern Ontario. This is a story that comes out of the Niagara region of Southern Ontario, real life story. And I guess I should say what I've learned first, and that's that you absolutely cannot predict what might happen for a person with brain difference, regardless of what is happening today with understanding, support and accommodations. We can't predict where that might take somebody. So I have a little story to illustrate that and that comes from the Niagara region of Ontario. I knew a grandmother and like many grandmothers I knew, she was raising her grandson with FASD. And you know, when she first came to our training, she expressed a lot of frustration She was at the end of her rope. She said to us, you know, I cannot turn my back. I can never get a break. As soon as I take my eyes off of my grandson, as soon as I turn around to start to make dinner, he starts taking the television apart or the microwave oven or the stereo or anything with a small motor or anything electronical. Anything in terms of electronics. We talked about many different things in her training, and she learned so many different things. And one of the takeaways for her was to look for strengths. She noticed and recognized that throughout the neurobehavioral model, we stress that we need to build on people's natural strengths and interests. We want people to feel really good about living in their own skin, about being who they are. So she wanted to turn this, what was previously seen as being incredibly destructive behavior. She wanted to turn this around. She put a couple things into place. She started garage selling. She started going to garage sales and buying anything she could find, with a small motor or any electronical or stereo, anything like that, that she could find. And she started collecting them in the basement. In the the meantime, she also started to establish a regular routine or schedule for her grandson. And she built a workshop in the basement of their house. And she started plugging into his schedule any time he didn't have anything to do because she had learned that often when people with brain difference don't have anything to do, that's the time when sometimes they might get into trouble. So she started to put that activity, working in the workshop, downstairs with electronics, other kinds of small motor items, things she didn't care what happened to those things. She wanted her grandson to learn. She also brought in an uncle who was actually a small engine mechanic in the local area. He started to teach her grandson how to use tools and how to look at certain pieces of equipment, how to fix things. Long story short, that young man is now an adult and he is now a successful small engine mechanic, working with his uncle, running their own business. And he's very successful based on his natural strengths and abilities.
0: In so many ways, I love that story. And I love that example. And in so many ways, I relate to that story and and to that example. So that is wonderful. And I know the listeners will listeners will really take a lot from that, that real example. So Nancy, before we wrap things up and before we end on our hope takeaway, can you share a little bit more about, uh, facets and, and the new support sessions that are being offered or some of the new things that are happening with facets?
1: Uh, facets is running multiple groups, uh, training of facilitators. So we've got some new graduates about to, Uh, begin their careers uh, doing training of the neurobehavioral model starting in the new year. And I understand from our last program director meeting, we've got just as many people ready to begin their journey starting next year as well. So that's very exciting. We'll have a lot more people out there who know about facets, know about the neurobehavioral model, and have the ability to share that with people. So that's so exciting. Um, we also have um, multiple two day, uh, the equivalent of a two full day uh, training uh, session or a version of the neurobehavioral model. Uh, due to COVID, we've moved that to a virtual experience and we do that over Zoom through six two hour sessions. So we have regular uh, uh, six session webinars that are available which is a really nice comprehensive look at the neurobehavioral model. We also have a bridging uh, training that we offer for people who do want to go through to become a facilitator themselves. And to do that, they must, as a prerequisite, complete the equivalent of the full three-day neurobehavioral model training. So the bridging uh, sessions offer people the ability to upgrade from their six part webinar to the equivalent of the full three days so that they're then eligible to move into the facilitator workshops. And the support sessions, uh, they happen ongoingly. Um, right now, it's Suzanne Emery who's supporting those sessions. And they, uh, people sign up and they use their real life examples, work through them, get support, get ideas, practice application, come back again. So it's a really nice way to check in and make sure that they're staying on track and that they're doing things within a neurobehavioral framework.
0: This has been such a lovely conversation and I am just so thankful to have met you and to know the work that you're doing with FACETS. And I will share upcoming workshops and information in today's program notes of our FASD Hope episode, as well as in our social media posts. So before we go, Nancy, can you end with some final words of hope for our audience about today's topic?
1: I'd actually like to end today just with a quote. This is from a woman who works as a mental health professional, but is also a mother of multiple children with brain difference. And she sent me this uh, quote after she had received her training and had applied the model for about six to eight months. So she'd had some good time to actually see the results of some of the changes that they had put into effect in the family. And this was her quote. She said, the model has helped me on so many levels, but primarily it's the constant reminder to bring it back to the brain. That if something isn't working, we need to change it. And that we need to assume can't instead of won't. That thinking this way has helped me stay calm. And when things go sideways, more than anything, it helps prevent some things from going sideways in the first place.
0: Wonderful quote. Oh, and wonderful words of hope. Nancy Hall of Facets. Thank you so much for being today's guest on Facets Friday.
1: Thanks so much, Natalie. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out fasdhope.com. Or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.